Welcome to Living Fit with your host, Pam Greshock. That's me, where I believe that we can live fit at any age. Let's get to the conversation. In a second. All right. How are you, AC Sinkowski? I'm awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. I am so excited that you took the time to come on. Thank you so much. Um, for my listeners, they're not always used to seeing my co-host here, my husband, Matt. Hello, everybody. <laughs> He's shown up one one time. So really quickly, there's so much that you could offer to my listeners and also to the CrossFit community that uh, we belong to. Um, so for my listeners, E.C. Sinkowski, she is, you are a licensed dietitian, nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, um, certified nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's kind of, that's kind of your background and you are the founder of optimize me nutrition. You've got it. And that also kind of is, uh, from that is the 800 gram challenge that a lot of people have heard of. Yeah. That's okay. probably what people kind of know me as, although I do offer other things besides that, but that's, that's the intro kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of how we'll kind of get started. So I want to let everybody know why Matt is with me today. First of all, Matt loves all things nutrition and fitness. Absolutely. <laughs> um, however, there's a fun story of how I know who EC is. A lot of you will already know who she is. Uh, I followed her for quite some time, a very long time. But Matt's going to kind of give you the story of how we actually know who she is. Yeah. So um, back in 2010, I had heard of this thing called CrossFit. Uh, it was it was just tra- starting to reach uh, our side of the country, so I signed up for a certification, the level one, um, about an hour from our house. So we went there, and EC was actually one of the seminar staff that was at the level one, and uh, it, it it wasn't the nutrition part you gave. I believe at that one you did the what is CrossFit mm-hmm. um, lecture. I, okay. I remember it was uh, Pat Sherwood did nutrition, and Joe Alexander was there, and Gilson. So. Yeah. kind of the OGs of CrossFit. Um, but I just remember, you know, that what is CrossFit lecture just in the way that you spoke and your passion. And uh, it just kind of really, obviously at the time changed my life because we were full-time bodybuilding and I transferred right after that. Um, one of the other trainers there, Jody Gain, mm-hmm. ends up ended up living about 20 minutes from me. So I started training in his garage at 6 Mm a.m. He opened an affiliate, (laughs) uh, trained there for about a year. And then he actually guided me to open our gym, which we have had for 12 years now, uh, since 2011. So uh, it was really kind of cool when Pam said she had been talking to you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know her. Uh, You know, half the reason why we even have a gym. So uh, I want to thank you, you know, Mm -hmm. for for all those years ago, the impact that you had uh, just with that, with with the CrossFit and the methodology and things like that. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. It's good to see you again. And I was given the methodology to teach. So it's all props to go to Greg, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way, the way it's delivered too also. Um, but uh, kind of what we want to start with is, you know, I know you were into CrossFit, big, big into CrossFit, uh, working with the seminar staff in HQ. And then now you've kind of transferred away from that into your own optimize me optimize me nutrition in your own kind of company so kind of how about did that transformation Mm -hmm. or when did you decide that that was the steps you wanted to to take yeah so it was probably 2016 um two 
keep up with some requirements that the administrative staff, like the people kind of running the programs behind the scenes, um, we had to do continuing education credits in the training department. Some of us did, depending on our role. And so I was looking around for, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? And I was involved in nutrition at the time, but it wasn't my full time thing. And I happened to just sort of be like, finding this master's degree program online that looked interesting, which might be a little heavy for, you know, continuing education credits. But I was like, well, this is interesting. It would fit well with CrossFit. I've got a good science background. I'd already done a ton of science in my undergrad and first master. So I started a master's degree. Um, and yeah, ultimately, I loved it. And so that that took like, I think, 16 months to do full time or something like that. But basically, as that was wrapping up, I felt like I wasn't giving it enough full time and attention. And I also sort of felt like, my position at CrossFit had kind of run into the end of all the challenges. Like I had been there during some great times during periods of growth and stuff like that and certainly had a great experience, but it was just time for a new challenge and a change. So it almost felt like, well, this is obviously the next transition. So, um, so yeah, I resigned to finish up the degree and then started, started my own thing. Yeah. That's a great story. It's kind of like your stepping stone into what you do now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I latched on to a lot of that because, um, you know, because of my kind of background and interest and, and things. Cause when he opened the the CrossFit gym, I had been injured and I had all these surgeries. So I was staying at home and that was kind of his thing he got into. And then, so like then, and then the optimized nutrition obviously is like what I, I watch your stuff all the time Mm -hmm. and I pass that information. Yeah. And I pass that information down and that's really what I really wanted to get into with you. You could again, offer so much to my listeners and I hope that they already follow you. If they don't, I hope that they go um, and do that. Uh, but there's, there's so much information online and I hear you talk about that all the time. Um, I've listened to many of your podcasts and just recently, of course, I was listening to a lot of them to try to try to sum up some of the questions that I could ask you. (laughs) Uh, And that's one thing you really kind of do kind of push out there is to kind of really cover the basics. And that's Mm. that. So, okay. So one of your, one of your things is the consistency is the consistency Mm -hmm. project, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So when I was injured, I couldn't work out. I come from a competitive athletic background and I really had a hard time coming back and coming back to terms with not being able to do what I used to do. And it really kind of sparked the growth in my own online business and it's uh, living fit, but consistency over intensity is my motto. Mm. And I've always said that. So it's like the consistency project, I was like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> like a perfect fit. And I, of course, offer nutrition information, but not in the context of what you do. And I often lead people to your information. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of leading into kind of the 800 gram challenge and whatnot. So I guess all of that to kind of sum up to say, like, what are what's the most important thing for my mm-hmm. listeners and even our CrossFit members? What's what are the most important things for us to look at in a nutrition standpoint for your best health, your mm-hmm. best self? Uh, and oftentimes there's weight loss, you know, that yeah. people have a goal. So, yeah. Yeah, most people want it all, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I kind of, 800 gram challenge is where people, you know, eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables. And I consider that sort of the starting point for people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's because people try to attack it all in nutrition. And there's certainly more than just doing the 800 gram challenge. 
but it's like, if you're not doing this, we're, we're not moving on to the next things. And it's really about that kind of that consistency piece with a healthy daily dose of fruits and veggies, because you get to pick the fruits and veggies you want. You don't have to follow this perfect list of the 10 locally sourced organic items, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so to get that going in your diet before you work on other pieces. And so I do encourage that. And, and honestly, it's only about four to 500 calories. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I agree it can be scaled and I agree coming from a modern food environment, it can be difficult for people and all of that stuff. But it's like, if that's not there, I, I don't, I don't know what we're doing with the nutrition. Now, can you do other things first? But to me, it's so foundational. It's such an obvious piece to be there that that would be something that I would want to see in most people's diets. Um, but, but ultimately, I have developed kind of through my master class something I call the three pillars method. I actually talked about it in a podcast probably mm, maybe about a year and a year and a half ago. I actually have that written down. I just, oh. just brushed up on that one. Yeah, before I got here to kind of kind of remember because I did remember listening to that as one of the oh, first Okay, ones. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot of people will be best served for general weight, health and fitness. We're not talking super, super elite performance, but we're talking pretty good, pretty athletic people all the way down to just general, general health goals, stuff like that. And even weight loss goals, we got to get quality in line, which to me is like the vitamins and minerals, a lot of which we get from our fruits and veggies. We got to get protein in line, which is going to mm -hmm. help with those lean mass gains and the fitness. But guess what? It also helps us feel full when we want to diet. And we also need a good amount of protein to keep our lean mass around as we age. So there's, there's ramifications for all of those out outcomes you want. And then we also do have to look at total calories. I wish I could make calories go away, <laughs> but I cannot. And so I find that when we can get those three things in line, we ultimately can get after a lot of weight, health and fitness goals. Again, maybe not the elite of the elite, but there's so few of those that I don't know that we need to worry about that. It's just that I don't ever recommend that out of the gates. There's very few people who can kind of juggle all three things right away. And so it's like, okay, let's that we know we can get there, but let's see how we're doing on this 800 gram challenge thing first. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that. And so that would be your kind of your first step. And I, I talk about that too, kind of doing one habit at a time. And, and so that's basically would be your suggestion, your first habit should be get enough fruits and vegetables. That's your yeah. message. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I think my main message in nutrition is kind of my principles. So I have these 10 principles of nutrition that I consider sort of irrefutable facts from a physiological and psychological perspective. It's like calories matter. Sorry, guys, can't change it. Right. Like, okay, I wish I could make them go away. I can't. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we have these 10 ideas and, um, and so that's all interesting. And it's like, you know, macronutrients can help body composition and like sustainability matters. And so they're all interesting, but then it's like, great, I've got this knowledge. How the heck am I going to implement it? Right. Well, how the heck you could implement it is all of the different diets out there. Could you do fasting? Theoretically? Sure. Could you do low carb and achieve these things? Sure. I just find in my experience working with other people that some of those diets are a little bit too dogmatic and too restrictive. And so that's why I kind of have my three pillars method. We look at quality in the diet, we look at protein, and then we look at total calories. And to me, that's how I like to apply that stuff. And so it's, I don't want to say it's just the 800 gram challenge. Like if somebody comes to me, and they kind of go through the process, and they're like, well, I, I really like fasting, and I can reach the endpoints by that. It's like, fine, I'm not against that per se. It's just that in real life application, I find that when people focus on these aspects of their diet, it tends to be more sustainable and realistic for the long term. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I think that's kind of some of the other questions that uh, a lot of my listeners would want to hear and questions I think we both get all the time. Like, should I fast? How much protein should I get? Does it matter? What about fiber? You know, like all, all of those kind of very simple things, but they seem simple, 
But at the same time, there's so much information. Like you say, it's majoring in the minors. You've said that quite mm-hmm. a few times. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, they get these little snippets of information. And that's that's not everybody's fault. And you've also mentioned that, you know, being in the space that you're in, you're kind of competitively trying to repeat the same thing over and over again um, and make it seem interesting. Because even I tell people like, and and he'll tell people like, selling you consistency over intensity, you have to do this forever. It's not a real good selling point. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the message. Um, So, so that's, I mean, that's one of the questions we always get, like, is how important is your protein and where should, where Mm. should that be? Like what Mm. levels of protein? So maybe we can go there. Like, is that kind of the questions that you would get? Oh yeah. Protein is how many grams. Yeah. A big thing, especially for the the CrossFit athletes, because I would say 90% of the CrossFit athletes here probably are, are way are very much under eating protein. Mm, yeah. I don't think they understand. Sure. You know, yeah. How, how it so, helps. And so like, what would be the upper limit, the lower limit, that kind of thing? Mm. Yeah. I am kind of low, I think relative to a lot of people in the CrossFit space, my, my kind of starting point, kind of like the 800 gram challenge, but from the protein is 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Now that is based off of current weight, unless somebody has like 25 pounds plus to lose, then maybe we go off of a target weight, but 0.7 grams per pound. Where they're at right now. Correct. Correct. Now I do say that the range can go up to one gram per pound. Um, if they want to, I don't know that that's really necessary for a lot of the level that I see within CrossFitting. And I even mean that for somebody who's like into CrossFit five days a week and wants to gain muscle mass. There are studies that show, you know, uh, recreationally active resistance trainees maximize the muscle mass gains at 0.7 grams per pound, not all the way up at one gram per pound. Now, do I think one gram per pound is harmful? No, but a lot of times, once we start looking at protein volumes that are like 150 grams a day or more, which is where we're going to be when we're looking at one grams per pound, is that most people have to accomplish it with powders. I'm not against protein powders. I just had some, in fact. Um, but a lot of shakes. What? What's that? Because I love my shakes. Right. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm not against powders. We can have powders. A lot of your members, though, don't really want powders. And I, I'm sure you've already experienced that. Like, yes, your trainers Absolutely. like the powders. And yes, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. like the powders. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in Gen Pop who are your members who do not like the powders. They don't like the mm-hmm. taste. They don't like having to push it in their yogurt. They just don't like it. And um, and so the 0.7 to me is way more sustainable and also in line with research where they can make lean mass gains and not have to deal with the whole powder thing and just eat food. So yeah, yeah so- I'm good there. I'm also good there. It's, it's research that aligns with research that finds we can retain lean muscle mass and a caloric deficit, as well as be protective of sarcopenia. So again, we've got weight, health, and fitness goals aligning okay. at that point. Now, if someone loves one gram per, gram per pound, or they truly have a substantial amount of mass, and they're doing very high level lifting, okay, all of those things could lead to more protein. But I think there's this idea of more protein is always better, especially for lean mass gains. And it's like, well, you also have to have the training stimulus to put down that lean mass. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. And so does that change during age? Because I know you mm-hmm. mentioned that and that's always a factor, you know, um, whether you have your younger athlete or your older athlete, you know, or aging as we are, right. not to like to admit it, but, uh, you know, does that change as you get older, like that protein requirement or is it kind of the same? It's going to be the same. Um, again, if somebody has a truly high level and they're truly a competitive master's athlete, I'd be surprised if they don't want to push it higher. Is there research that suggests that they need to? No. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's not like it has to go up as you age. I think though, what happens is I deal with a lot of people kind of post 40 years old and we kind of find out what just Matt just said. It was like, Oh, relative to even 0.7, they're not eating enough protein. Sure. So they always feel like they have to eat more, but my number is the same regardless if they started my program when they were 20 <laughs> or when they're 40. It's just that when I tell them that at 40, they're like, oh, I have to eat more than I thought. And it's just sort of like, no, that's what we should have been eating for some time now. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Yeah. What about uh, like the protein timing? Because there's mm -hmm. a lot of talk around like nutrient timing, protein timing, you know, like when you wake up or after your workout, like, is there any anything to that? Yeah, so my principle three is... Um, timing only matters to the extent it affects quantity, um, which mm. basically means I don't care when you eat it so long as you eat the right amount in the day. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people who push the timing stuff, they're going to cite, especially with protein, they're going to cite these muscle protein synthesis studies yes. that show MPS protein synthesis increases when somebody has protein after their workout. The problem is I don't really care what my synthesis rates are. I care if I add more muscle mass. So if I want to know that this is going to increase muscle mass, we best measure muscle mass, which happens then in the long term, not four hours after this short term study. And what we find is that when protein is equated, the timing doesn't matter. Now, there aren't a ton of studies that do that. I think there's three that really look at does timing matter on lean mass or performance gains. And I think it's three and I think it's no difference. And so that's why I have this principle three doesn't matter when you eat. If I had truly a high level athlete who really was looking to optimize, you know, everyone wants to optimize performance. It's in my company name, <laughs> optimize <laughs> performance. I would potentially have them think more about spacing of their protein, assuming we're already consistently hitting enough each day for theoretical gains. Do we have evidence that it's doing anything? No, <laughs> but theoretically, sure, why not? Because supposedly we care about the 1% there. It's just, it's just so irrelevant to most people, right? Um, yeah. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is for the people that are really interested in these muscle mass gains, they're typically eating at the one gram per pound anyway. So we're looking at 150 grams or more per day. Like how else are you going to eat that besides spacing it out? I mean, yeah. it's just sort of like, I think some of this stuff about timing works itself out by way of sustainability like who's doing zero grams of protein until 7 p.m and then 150 <laughs> like, right oh most, I most people... <laughs> i just seen that yeah yeah, yeah like most people want to eat meals and just by way of training and job it's going to happen like through the day and so i'm like are we overly managing a process that just sort of naturally works if we eat the right amount <laughs> yeah 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 i think people try to micromanage every aspect when they don't really need to um now uh, on the protein too one other thing uh along with timing and, yeah. and whatever so uh let's just say that 150 grams as as a base what would be your ideal amount per meal mm. there yeah i sort of say the same thing like whatever you want okay most people though just because protein is kind of a satisfying nutrient. And there are going to be some people who are like, no, no, no. I love, you know, like 80 grams in one sitting. Oh, Most gosh. people are, are kind of tapped out around 40 to 50 grams of protein. Like they're okay. just sort of done. So again, it's like people will be like, oh, it's so optimal to have, you know, like 40 grams of protein in meals. Like that's what people eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what about the talk of like the 30 grams helps mTOR? Like mm. what about that? What about that conversation that's kind of floating around in the fitness space right now? Yeah, it's all, a lot of this stuff is very similar, like mTOR or 
MPS rates or even mm-hmm. like insulin spiking after meals that people mm-hmm. worry about. A lot of that stuff, we have to always remember what we care about from this. So mm-hmm. let's take like mTOR. It's like we care about muscle mass. Like you can measure mTOR and that can tell us some interesting things. But if we're interested, if this increases muscle mass, I need to studies that look at muscle mass. <laughs> like I'm not going to, yes, I can look at studies that look at MPS and that's interesting, but I need to look at ultimately to make my decision, did they measure muscle mass? And a lot of them don't because they're these short-term immediate acute studies. Same thing with insulin. People worry about insulin going up after a meal and it's like, okay, that's going to lead to hyperinsulinemia, hyperinsulinemia. It's like, no, let's measure fasting insulin over a long period of time, right? So yeah. again, we kind of have to like, yes, we need those mechanistic studies. Yes, we need those short-term acute studies, but I think people get a little bit lost in the markers and thinking that, oh, because I need to have synthesis to increase my muscle, that this is going to guarantee that outcome. It's like, no, no, no. What outcome do we want? We want muscle mass. Then we need to look at studies that measure muscle mass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, and then I think what I see in my space, and you'll see that too, is like paralysis over analysis. And then people just get so confused and they end up not doing anything at all, or they end up trying to stick to something. And you've talked about this many times and that's part of your mission and what, what your whole statement is, is they, they get on these plans that are very short term without needing it. You know, I have, you know, I'm the director of a cardiac rehab. My patients need certain prescription nutrition, mm-hmm. but outside of that, like there people, I see them all the time, you know, trying this diet and, and that diet, and then they just fall off and, and don't do anything. So it's kind of, they just, totally. all of this information and they're like, you know, we have to right. get this much protein at this much time. And, sure, sure. And yeah. It's like, too, Yep, trying to explain the snatch, you know, <laughs> one part at a time. One part at a time. Well, yeah. here's the other thing. It's like, even with my own 800 gram challenge, and even with this 0.7 number, I just told you, like, there's a really wide strike zone. And I think that's what also gets confusing. Like, I like my 800 gram number for a certain reason. Does perfect health happen at 800 grams? No, we have to look at the whole diet. We have to look at calories, we have to look at protein, we have to look at all the vitamins and minerals we got. Like, you guys know the deal. Same yeah. thing, yeah. does like perfect muscle mass development happen at 0.7? No, some people are going to be a little higher, some people are a little lower, training dependent, genetics dependent, all of this stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm part of the confusion just as much as anyone else because I have to put out guidelines to help people like where to start, right? But like, are my where to starts perfectly perfect? No, that's not how biology works. And so I think people, especially people who are, again, not the elite of the elite, which is like 99% of us, (laughs) not 50% of us, 99% of us, um, forget if there's actually a wide strike zone like in terms of mm-hmm. how many fruits and vegetables I can eat or how many protein grams I can eat. Like you can be fine at 0.9, you can be fine at 0.67. Like, you know what I mean? Like there is a much wider range there so long as you're consistent and then have other things in your life like regular exercise, sleep, not smoke, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes that makes sense to kind of like basically simplify it. Like you said, start one thing and then once you have that habit, go on to the next thing and kind of evaluate at each step. And, and like you said, the main mission is to, to create and maintain that muscle mass for long-term health as we age and kind of have all of these, these good habits put in. Um, another question I wanted to get to before I lose my train of thought here, and a lot of what you do and what I love that you do and what I try to bring to my listeners uh, is, is kind of a lot of the debunking of some of mm-hmm. the fads that, that happen and people kind of get hung up on them. Not so much fasting. You kind of covered that a little bit. And I think I think we're moving beyond that, I feel like, a little uh, because there's people like yourself and just kind of saying, if you want to fast, fast. If you don't want to fast, that's okay, too. Like, 
whatever works for you. Uh, but the the organic versus inorganic is a mm. big thing. And you just recently talked about the glyphosate on mm -hmm. the oatmeal and other and other things like that. Um, so I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say there is like what what's important with organic versus inorganic. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe if you want to touch on the glyphosate a little bit. And then mm -hmm. the other thing I wanted to talk about, I told him, I was like, don't let me forget the other day he's like, <laughs> <laughs> is the, the cold plunge. Mm. Uh, you recently talked about that. And I think that's what prompted me to message you. Oh, cool. uh, yeah. I'm like, Oh, I got, I have to talk about that because it's one of those small little things that everybody just thinks is going to change their whole <laughs> life. And, uh, and, and I want to hear your thoughts and I want you to share that with my listeners. So the organic versus inorganic, maybe the glyphosate and then the, yeah. the cold plunge trend. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, so the organic thing, um, first of all, there there are reasons people may choose to eat organic that don't have to do with the nutritional exposure of the chemicals. So mm -hmm. ethical reasons, how animals are treated. Um, and I also am not going to put myself out there as an environmental expert, although I worked in environmental consulting. I'm not here from an ecological perspective to talk about diversity of all of the animals. So that's for people to decide or go find other experts in those fields. I'm talking from a nutrition exposure, dietary yeah. exposure point of view. So, you know, the first thing I want to bring up about organic is by the USDA's own statistics, 80%, well, it's actually closer to 90% in their most recent dietary guidelines report of people in the US are not eating enough fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So are we concerned about the exposure on foods that we're not eating? <laughs> it's a yeah. little bit like guys like if this is really harming us from the exposure from the fruits and vegetables we're eating well, we're not eating them <laughs> so we're yeah. not eating them now i know it can happen potentially through other foods but it is sort of the first kind of stop gap to sort of think and do a reality check on but the other thing is you know the usda monitors food. And I know there's a big mistrust of our government, but I would encourage people to go look at the monitoring program that we have on our food supply. The U.S. has a highly, highly regulated food supply. And look at how they set the standards for exposure. They do this for additives as well, but it's kind of from an environmental toxicology perspective, um, how they set the standards of what's considered safe. And then also what they do every year in terms of measuring to see where the levels are. And it was over 99%. I think it, I forget it was like 99.5 or whatever, but percent of samples fall below the level that they consider safe mm. now. And that's safe for exposure for long, for your entire life to not cause any disease or, you know, harm you. Yeah. Now where people get really, um, I don't know, confused or they don't like this system is they, it's like this idea that any level of a chemical is dangerous mm. and it's like, well, um, you know, like water can kill you. Or I always like to use the example of alcohol. People readily accept there's a healthy dose of alcohol or a permissible amount of alcohol, but yet it can be quite toxic. And in fact, it's considered a class one carcinogen. It's like at a certain point, alcohol is a problem. So if you accept that people can drink, you have to accept the way that we go about setting standards for any sort of chemical. And another example I like to use is almonds have um, a naturally occurring amount of cyanide. Now, very small, but cyanide is very toxic, but no one's afraid of eating almonds because of cyanide. So True. this is the same type of um, ideas that we have to bring of how they go about setting kind of chemical exposure. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I encourage people to kind of look in. they monitor, you know, pesticide exposure, they monitor hormone doses in animals, which people are always afraid of. They monitor, you know, what are, you know, uh, just different areas in the US, different types of crops, imports, exports, all of that stuff to see how we're faring. And yes, we're meeting all of the safe levels. Um, and so 
I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with it and do not think people should be choosing organic for health reasons. The other thing with organic that's interesting is people will think because it's grown organically, the nutrients, and now I'm not talking about the chemical exposure, I'm talking about the nutrients, like do they have more vitamins and minerals in the crops or the animals yeah. or whatever the fatty acid ratio is, people will inherently think those are better. Um, no, because a lot of what dictates the nutrients in the crop or how what the animal has is based on their environment. What soil is it grown in? What is the sun and rain and season condition to create the crop is ultimately going to influence its kind of nutritional quality. And so this is why there's no consistency of like organic is always he healthier, has higher ingredients. Now, again, if you want to support local farmers, I love it. If you want yeah. to do it for ethical reasons, I love it. But from a nutritional perspective, you do not have to be buying organic. Um, specifically for the glyphosate, I think this is, I think this is relevant to the organic discussion too, mm -hmm. is people will confuse occupational exposure with dietary exposure. And this is actually something I did work about work on quite a lot with my environmental consulting days, but there will be studies that look at people who are literally spraying glyphosate every day as the farm workers and look at their exposure and be concerned about, okay, what kind of personal protective equipment do we have to put on these agricultural workers to make sure they stay safe? And are they getting exposed to a very high dose? People will look at those studies and be like, look at all of the harm. And it's like, that's not the same exposure that people have eating oatmeal at all. Like yeah. the oatmeal has gone through a different analysis to figure out, okay, what's a realistic exposure that people are getting when they're eating oats in the morning versus people who are standing there with the glyphosate spraying it, you know, day after day after day. And yeah. that also gets a little bit twisted in people's minds. Like, oh, these people are getting harmed. And it's like, well, these people are around it 24 seven, right? So they might not have been wearing, you know, gloves, masks, you get the idea. That makes so, sense. That, that's another thing there. Um, cold plunge, right? That was the third one. <laughs> cold plunge. Um, yeah, yes. cold, cold plunge. Cold plunge. <laughs> you know, again, I try to. I try. So to you're, you're, you're going to tell me I need to buy ten of them for the gym, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. This is how you get your athletes really fit. <laughs> I always. Hear yeah. Right. Right. Like, exactly. This is how this, everybody makes the games. This is how they're going to get to the games. Um, Sometimes I, I don't like really being the Debbie Downer. Like, I think there can be some interesting things about the cold plunge. In fact, my, my good friend Miranda at Street Parking, she is doing cold plunge right now. And um, she's doing it for like the mental aspect of it. And I do think there is something there. Like doing something hard can be good. It's just like doing CrossFit in some ways. Now I think CrossFit has some other benefits besides right. cold plunging, but I do think there's something to the mental aspect to things. And so if that's truly why somebody's doing it, okay, I don't really have an issue. I do think it's sort of put out there though that um, cold plunging will result in better performance. Now, and here we are again, the same yeah. type of problem that we had with like MPS or insulin. It's like, okay, if you wanna tell me that cold plunging increases performance, I don't wanna study that does cold plunge and measures inflammatory markers. I wanna study that does cold plunge and measures performance. <laughs> How is right. the back squat? How are the pull-ups? How are the run times? Don't tell me about I don't know what marker went up and down in their bloodstream. I don't care. I want to know, you know, performance. And there actually have been some interesting studies that didn't just look at one time performance, like didn't just like do this in one day where people came in plunged and did a squat. They did it across like an eight week training block. And there was actually some negative effects on kind of strength and performance outcomes. Yeah. Which is not just like no effects, but actually is going in the other direction of what right. I think people assume is, is the good benefit. Now, 
What's really, really interesting about the cold plunge, and it's actually my friend who pointed it out to me, it's kind of embarrassing, I didn't realize it, but it's really hard to test the placebo effect. Because when you do a placebo or testing the placebo, you have to give both groups something that looks similar. Like, oh, you know, you can give people yeah. pills and one has the active ingredient and one doesn't. So people don't really know what they're getting. The problem with the cold plunge is how do you get in the cold plunge and not know you're in a cold plunge? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I and never so because that. we've been kind of like inundated with like cold plunge is good, cold plunge is good. How do you have people get in the cold plunge and not think that they're better afterwards? Mm-hmm. It's like this very perceived effect. And there was this study and I cited it in the podcast of like they, uh, they tried to test the placebo effect and they did where they basically told people, hey, we have research that suggests this oil that we're going to have you put on and go in hot water has the same effects of cold plunge. Oh. And they found that the people that they fooled actually had the same recovery time course as people who went in the cold plunge. And so That's it's like, hey, this is a placebo sweet. effect happening. Yeah. 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 The mind is so powerful. Totally. Yeah. Um, and the other, I think, question that a lot of my listeners and my Facebook groups and whatnot talk about and kind of question is inflammatory seed oils. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big one. And, and I think, again, this kind of goes back to, and uh, Matt can also attest for this too, is a lot of people come with these questions and it almost creates this weird anxiety around anything. And I mean, and so, so it makes them afraid to do things, you know, like I said, either they won't do anything at all or, you know, or whatnot. So what's, what's your opinion and what's the research behind, if you know, uh, the inflammatory seed oils, how important are they, mm-hmm. uh, in eliminating from our nutrition and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was there. It's probably why I'm relatively vocal about this stuff. I was the person who was driving to local farms only and getting raw milk and avoiding all canola oil and no ad. So I was that person. And then it's like, then you actually look at the real research, not the online research, not the online mainstream. And you're like, oh, wow, that's different. So seed oils are a great example of that. So seed oils are actually omega-6 fats, um, which are a type of polyunsaturated fat. So we've got the omega-3s and we've got the omega-6s. Those are both polyunsaturated fats. And um, seed oils are just types of um, these these fats that are high in omega-6s. And what's really interesting is when we look at randomized controlled trials with omega-6 fats, people are better off when they have them in their diet. (laughs) Again, going in the opposite direction of what's being kind of pushed a little bit in the mainstream. Now, I often find that people... um, when they get to their weight, health, and fitness goals, they end up having less seed oils in their diet, but that's because they've cut calories. So any type of processed food has, you know, canola oil in it or some type of omega-6 oil in it. And so what we find is, yes, our seed oil consumption has gone up over the years, but so has our consumption of bread products, crackers, all of this stuff. And so a lot of times when people clean up their diet and feel better, they're basically cutting out all of the processed stuff. So yes, they reduce polyunsaturated, or I'm sorry, omega-6 fats or seed oils. Yes, they reduce additives. Yes, they, you know, cut down on carbs. But it's not that independently any of those things were that magical. It's that they literally reduce calories and processed food by way of reducing processed foods in their diet. So the yeah. research suggests that it's better to have omega-6s in the diet than not. And I think some of the positive effects people see when they cut it out is because they're basically eating cleaner, for lack of a better word. They're just eating less processed food. Okay, that makes sense. And so what would be your favorite oil of choice, I guess, for cooking? Mm. People want to ask that too. 
Yeah, I just use olive oil um, or butter, just depending on the, the taste. You know, eggs, mm -hmm. I'll do butter, but olive oil for anything like roast in the oven. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a question for sure. Um, do you have any questions about that? Anything else? No, I have all I got because I was I the reason I'm so interested in all of these things and you know again a lot of my listeners and are in our community have kind of watched me grow in this in this space I I started bodybuilding at 20 I, you know I'm 41 and you know so there's been this growth and these kind of these this process we've been together that entire and I have those rabbit holes and created all of that anxiety myself. And mm -hmm. I mean, I know he can, and of, of course, like our home is filled with mostly good foods and, you know, and we buy organic when available and it's there, but we don't stress if it's not, you know, but I've grown to be that because I was once that person who almost created this anxiety, especially when I had kids, like, oh my gosh, you know, we can't have this, we can't have that, we can't have this seed oil, we can't have, you know, we need to buy organic and it created all of the, all of this stress. So that's kind of, I, I, totally understand and respect exactly what you're saying is I used to be that person. And that's why I'm so interested mm -hmm. and so passionate to bring this information to my listeners and our members and all of that, because there's just confusion. And I was confused and full of anxiety about things at one point too. Fear sells, fear sells. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's way, I mean, you can look at, or like, controversy cells too. I mean, liver King's the per the perfect recent example. Um, oh yes. Know. I wanted to ask you about that whole liver. Oh, good. Thing. Like everybody <laughs> wants like liver tabs. And it's funny because back in the old bodybuilding days in our, you know, in our early twenties and teens, even we're taking liver pills and mm. amino tabs and all of that. And then now it's kind of coming back full circle. Right. Like, wait, are liver tabs actually still, are, are they a thing? Are they good? So what's your, what's your take on all that? Yeah, I mean, they are nutrient dense. Liver is a nutrient dense source of a lot of vitamins, minerals. Um, but like, we always have to remember our whole diet matters. So if you eat enough of other health nutrient dense foods in the rest of the day, you don't have to get all of your vitamin A in like a liver pill, like you could just get it in other foods you eat. Right, right. <laughs> um, it's always the whole picture. And I think that's also another thing that gets confusing about nutrition is it's like, I can never tell you yes or no on one food. I need to know everything you ate that day to be able to tell you yes or no on that food, right? Now, generally, we're eating too much of the processed stuff. So generally, people should just be focusing more on the whole foods. But like anything can be part of a healthy diet. And sure, liver can be part of a healthy diet. But is this this essential thing? No, because you can just get those nutrients in all the other foods you eat that day. Um, but yeah, I mean, the liver king guy, I mean, we come to find out he doesn't even eat his own diet. And oh, by the way, he takes steroids. Right. But guess what? He's got, I don't know, well over a million followers. And then you look oh, yeah. at his profile compared to the USDA, who's been saying the same thing since 1970. I think they've got like 80,000 followers and he's over a million, you know, selling his supplements that we don't need. So, right. Yeah. And so, so when people are buying those and they're taking them and obviously, like you said, like the liver king was not telling the truth. <laughs> And uh, so when they're taking them, they're essentially just giving themselves something extra that they really mm -hmm. don't need. And is that like your take? Like it's almost just kind of a waste of money to to take those things unless you absolutely need them and they're, you know, you're clinically need them. Yeah, there's always going to be some cases for supplements, <laughs> but uh, there's always going to be some cases of deficiency that people will need them. But it's like you shouldn't assume you're deficient and just start taking a very high dose of something. There is toxicity potential at some point for some of these mm -hmm. things. Um, thankfully, I guess you could say from that perspective is 
people are really bad at being consistent on taking things. <laughs> right. That's a good so, take on that, yeah. I mean, you can see that with like, I'm sure you already know that with medications, right? Like how it's hard it is for people to take life-saving medications. So things like yeah. supplements, I have a feeling that adherence is probably like up and down and all over the map. And so this is why they end up not being that toxic or that concerning even when there's contamination then just because people tend not to take them for very long and tend not to be super sure. consistent with them. But sure, there is a there is chances depending on the dose of these things. And that's part of the problem with the supplement industry. It's so unregulated is that what is said on the back of the label you, you might not be getting. Um, so there is certainly a, a, a risk potential at, at certain points, especially if people are very consistent, yeah. Yeah, for the for the supplements. Yeah. yeah. So and on supplements again. Um, so let's just say we're we're getting our eight hundred grams fruits mm -hmm. and vegetables a day. We're getting our protein in that point seven to to one yeah. gram per pound. There's really not anything that we're gonna need extra supplement wise. Yeah, is there anything you would suggest right. like at all? Like uh, you know, because yeah, I mean I mean I can't tell you how many people bring a bottle into the gym. Oh, I'm gonna start taking this. Do I need this? I'm like, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Um, so, I mean, as long as your diet is where it should be, you're going to get most of what you're going to need um, out of that, correct? Yeah, you should. Now, I don't like to just guarantee that because sometimes right. people have some really interesting mm, choices. They'll do like 800 grams of watermelon and all of their protein from collagen. This is very rare, but this is why you kind of have to be like, okay, well... With some diversity <laughs> yeah. of these types of fruits and vegetables and of the different protein sources. And yeah, you include some grains or some dairy or some um, nuts and stuff like that. In addition to some processed food, it's very, very likely you'll be covered. Because otherwise, how did we get to like 1920? I think it was like the 30s and when supplements started to be, be a thing anyway, not really big till 60s and 70s. So it's like, how did we get to 1920 as a species if we needed supplements? Um, you know, I think the common question is, vitamin D. And I just don't put out a broad recommendation for that because vitamin D isn't found in most foods. Sometimes it's fortified in some foods. Um, I just don't put out a broad recommendation for that. The RDA is about 800 IUs per day. And you're going to find that most supplements are 5,000 or higher IUs. So I think, again, a case for over supplementation. It is possible to get it from the sun. And just if you're worried about it, go get it tested at the doctor and listen to what your doctor says. <laughs> yeah, I actually got mine tested and it was low for the first time. And I, okay. I used to be big on, on taking it all the time. And then I was like, well, I can actually get too much of this and that's not good either. Right, so right. I stopped taking it and I just kind of get my levels tested, you know, when appropriate. And I was just slightly low. So I'm like, okay, I'll just take some vitamin D then and it'll be yeah. fine. Um, and so what about the what about digestive enzymes? Because sometimes mm -hmm. I find when people start eating fruits and vegetables, you know, their fiber intake is up and they're drinking their water and, and what have you. Uh, but do, uh, how do you feel about like the digestive enzymes for that? Like, because sometimes people will complain, you know, and that's where they have to kind of modify it. Like, oh, I can't eat all this. You know, it's, mm. it's hard. Yeah, that is, if anything, that is the biggest complaint. Like it's too much food. Um, I would just scale them a little bit and just have them work up slower to the 800 gram number. But um, no, I don't recommend digestive enzymes. There, there are people who do have, um, IBS is the most common gastrointestinal disorder that's diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are some types of foods that can be more triggering for people who have, have IBS. But I would much rather people who have like really consistent symptoms of like, I'm always bloated or, or whatever else, depending on their 
bowel um, movements and all that stuff, like mm -hmm. to get diagnosed, there's so much of this self-diagnosis out there. It's like, go to a doctor and find out what it is <laughs> like, yeah. versus sure. guessing what it is on the internet and then coming up with a really restrictive diet, which might not be sustainable and might be excluding a lot of healthy nutrients. So I would probably with those individuals, first of all, like try to scale it a little bit more. Hey, we target 400 grams, then we just gradually work our way up over several months. And then if they are having consistent painful GI systems, it's like, yeah, this, this is why we have conventional medicine go to go, go to a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's no need. And that's something that uh, Matt and I both stand, stand on as well. Like, of course there's the natural health space that again, like kind of, like you said, you've kind of gone down that path a little bit. Um, but then there's, you know, the, I guess the conventional medicine and why can we use both? I mean, we yeah. have so much access to so many things. Um, you know, it's 2023, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> we have all kinds of different ways to, to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. I could have you on here all day. Is there anything else that you, uh, I mean, strictly from a just I want to know type thing um, <laughs> are you doing the CrossFit Open this year <laughs> I'm not I'm not unfortunately I should I have an affiliate here that I go to um I wouldn't say regularly but I, I'm oh, there a few times a month so no no really good reason yeah what's yeah. your favorite your favorite kind of exercise right now to do like consistently for yourself what's your favorite? I pretty much do CrossFit I had a lot of back injuries over the year and I'm actually I actually back squatted for the I mean it's not an impressive amount but the most I barbell back squatted in like 10 years the other day so I'm, I'm definitely still doing CrossFit um it's just not as as heavy as I was back in you know 2010 and all of that stuff I mean right. I do really like my CrossFit affiliate near here but it's just schedule and stuff you know i have enough stuff at my house that i can right. get enough of kind of like you know a helen style workout or just 100 burpee bed jumps and uh <laughs> call it a day so very very right. crossfit yeah right how is it going yeah. with the and, um, uh the burpee yeah. wait burpee pull-ups right like you have the lanes and setting burpee room pull -ups. That? yeah yeah oh man we actually practiced them this week and i told the members i'd like just in case Bob's throw something crazy out there, we're going to practice these <laughs> and then, Hey, they, they show up. So I, I think they're ready for that. Um, you know, it's Michigan and it's 20 degrees out right now. So we have not been doing any running. Right. So, you know, but you have the space at your gym. You don't, that's, that's not a problem. Luckily we, yeah, yeah. Luckily yeah. we do. Good. So, so it'll be, uh, we're doing a Friday night lights tonight. We're recording this on a Friday. So, yeah. um, so yeah, that'll be interesting tonight. It'll be, it'll be kind of fun. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, it is fun. It is fun. So, and that's the last thing. Um, were, were you going to say something else? No, I was just, I should have said, you know, there's no, there's no good reason. I didn't just didn't make it happen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, hey, but you know, you know, and Pam and I were talking the other day, it's like, you know, I mean, I'll probably do CrossFit forever. I love CrossFit, the methodology, but the uh, 2010 version of me and the 2023 version of me think completely different about, you know, CrossFit right. back then it was like, uh, how hard, how hard, how hard can I get? And now it's like, I just have fun doing this, you know, and I don't care what my back squat is too much anymore. Totally. I don't care what grand time is anymore. I'm just glad that I can still do this. And yeah. it's something that will be sustainable for forever. You know? Totally. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's what I was going to kind of end on is uh, our conversation about that. And like you said, you know, back in 2010, you did that. And that's something my listeners can also hear. And that's a big message is that, you know, things change and you change and your life changes and you don't have the same 24 hours anymore that you used to have and, or the same goals or even the same body for that matter and kind of respect the age, but you know, don't, 
don't put a lot of limits on it, but kind of respect where, where you're at in time and, and health wise. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, EC, for coming on, uh, kind of officially meeting you and you guys got yes, to Yes, yes. Re- re- yeah. 10 years, 12 years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It was a ton of fun. Yeah. And so I'll list everything where they can find you, uh, maybe if you're having, you know, more challenges or, or whatever, you know, you have a newsletter and all of that kind of stuff. So where can, where can somebody find you? It's pretty easy. OptimizeMeNutrition.com. Optimize Me Nutrition on Facebook and Instagram. And then my podcast is The Consistency Project. Yes, The Consistency Project. Consistency over intensity, you guys. Um, All right, you guys. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in again. EC, thank you so much for your time. Uh, We totally appreciate your your knowledge and all that you share. And thank you for taking the time for everybody, you know, all over to kind of spread some good information. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, guys. Yes. Don't forget to like, subscribe and all the things. Love you.